Hello and welcome to the Digital of Business and Business of Digital podcast where we interview thought leaders, industry experts and professionals behind the successful and inspiring digital marketing campaigns. This podcast is brought to you by Lingjoy, a tool that helps you get 10x out of your digital presence by creating branded links, curated pages and link in bio. Subscribe now and start your journey towards becoming a digital marketing pro. Hello, how are you? Today we have Nelson Jordan with us. He is a freelance content strategist and copywriter for e-commerce and SaaS companies. He has helped more than 80 brands grow using digital marketing strategies and has worked from a bootstrap company to VC funded startups to SMEs and to global companies also. Today we are lucky that he is here to share his journey with us and we are going to talk about content marketing strategies for SaaS companies. Hi Nelson, thanks a lot for Hi. doing this with us. No problem at all, Sahil. Thank you for having me. So, uh, before we jump into uh, so the format where we ask, uh, I ask you questions about uh, the topic that we have today. Uh, how was your journey? So, were you into content from the beginning, or is it an evolution of some kind? Because most of the uh, marketers who are on this podcast have seen a lot of transition in their uh, journey. So, how was your journey? Sure, I'm not. I'm not a buck trend. It was very much uh, an evolution as well. Um, I started off, you know, actually doing a, a master's in marketing because I really struggled to even get into uh, uh, into this. So after that, I went to work in house for for Hitachi, then went to work at an agency for four years. And in that agency, I did kind of everything under the sun when it comes to digital marketing. I started off in paid social media, uh, working with B2B companies. So you're talking about like heavy manufacturing and engineering companies. So companies like Bosch Rexroth and Eric's and Mazak, um, and then moved into uh, B2C. So that's uh, serving customers directly. Um, so yeah, quite a lot of, um, you know, different experience there straight from the beginning I've involved in a lot of new business. Um, managing paid traffic campaigns. So Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, combined kind of with then and the experience since then, I've spent up to kind of 150 to $200,000 a month managing those campaigns. So not like the, the hugest level you can get to, but like a fairly significant level. Um, then I moved into, um, PPC and SEO just because the opportunities opened up in the agency. And, um, those gave me like a, a lot of great learning points. I learned how to write different types of copy. I learned how to understand, uh, customer intent and keyword analysis and all of those, those great things. Um, and then actually moved into conversion rate optimization. So less about the actual kind of AB split testing, but more about understanding um, usability, uh, customer experience and customer journeys, um, but still like a, a really kind of fascinating time for me. Um, I then uh, moved to Spain uh, with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. Um, we wanted a change of lifestyle, so we moved to Valencia. Um, my agency were just fantastic and they let me move abroad and still work for them. And all I did was kind of commute once a month, try and cram all of my meetings into like this intense two or three day period and then fly back out again, um, which worked for me for a little while. But after about a year, I got tired of the traveling. 
Uh, I wanted to spend more time kind of enjoying the sun, the tapas, the lifestyle. Um, so I took the decision to to move into a freelance role. You know, I kind of realized that with my experience and my skill set that I would be able to earn a lot more and work a lot less and also basically travel zero, <laughs> um, which is just, a, you know, a fantastic opportunity for me. So I started off freelancing with uh paid traffic acquisition because I had, I knew some people at the time that were interested. Um, it wasn't really a, a conscious choice for me to, to go down that route. Um, but I opened kind of a, a small agency called the e-commerce profits, which started with just me. Now we have three or four freelancers that, that all work um, and handle the day-to-day -day of that. So that's just paid traffic acquisition for uh, e-commerce based companies. So that's largely Facebook and Instagram, uh, paid advertising campaigns, but, uh, I've organized it in such a way that I really only have to spend two or three hours working on that in, in the whole month. Um, so actually the majority of my time is, is spent kind of doing freelance content strategy for, for SaaS companies, for e-com companies. Um, so yeah, that's that's a super brief overview. I'm sure you've got tons of questions about that, the experience. So I'll let you chime in. <laughs> yeah, so number one question, which uh, I think a lot of agencies are also uh, hearing us right now. And uh, so uh, how uh, was your experience working in an agency? Because as you said, you did everything under the sun. And uh, is that something which is, I think uh, I have seen around in agencies that uh, people do a lot of work and uh, they do multiple things. Uh, different regions have different norms, but this is a common thing which I've heard and seen uh, across the agencies. Uh, so uh, is there a, sh uh, so uh, is there a mindset which is required to work in agency or how is it? If you can just brief us about your experience in the agency. Sure. So, I mean, like it's, it's probably not right to talk about agencies just as a whole like that, because they, they differ so much in size and scope and, and their objectives and, and, you know, what their actual specialisms are. So there are a few different ones, like even within digital marketing, you have kind of generic agencies that, you know, take on lots of different projects, lots of different industries. Um, and they really aren't necessarily geared at getting to a certain level. There may be like, they have between two and 10 or 15 um, kind of different employees normally and they'll all do like a little bit of everything some agencies have specific divisions um so within our agency uh we had uh like a digital kind of division that was to be honest mainly social media um and also a pr division and then within those they they'd split them into b2b and b2c um so those individuals were specialists but the agency as a whole did multiple things versus sometimes you have an agency where you don't really have specialists. Everyone does a bit of everything and, and they've got different pros and cons, right? Um, I feel like if you're trying to scale an agency, then being good at one specific thing is, is the way to go. Um, it's easier to sell um, for people to understand what you do. Um, and it's easier to, to recruit and get specific clients. Um, so th there's like lots of differences there in terms of like what an agency is like, uh, for people that, um, are kind of coming from outside that world, or perhaps like they're an in-house marketer, or perhaps they're a freelancer. 
So like an agency for me is probably like the path that I would take to accelerate your career the quickest. So the sheer variety of clients that you work with and different problems you encounter, different stakeholders, um, different kind of ways of uh, managing projects and things as well. Like I can't think of anything faster to increase your skills that to be quite honest with you. Um, like within my four years at the agency, because I worked on like lots of different projects, I had retained clients, but also projects. I think I probably worked with like 50 to 60 different clients, um, which is just a great variety of, you know, clients and projects to be engaged with. So for me, um, it just, I felt that that put me on the fast track more than perhaps, uh, an in-house role would have done. Um, but that's very much down to like which company you end up at, at if you are in-house, you know, there are some fantastic companies that really invest in their people, invest in their training. And unfortunately there are some, some companies that view their in-house marketers as basically admin staff, you know, that they're there to support everybody else, but they don't necessarily bring, bring that much value. So it really depends on where you end up. One thing I would say is that if you're at an agency, uh, I'm not sure how it shakes out in the rest of the world, but in the UK, you tend to get paid lower. Um, so it tends to attract uh, younger people, typically. Um, they tend to be quite like energetic. They want to learn a lot of things and they're willing to kind of take a, a lower wage to, to get on the ladder, to have all of these different experiences. Um, I would say like agency life is definitely suited to a particular type of person and less suited to others. Again, I'm talking in averages here. Um, but yeah, you see a lot of people going from like agency roles when they hit kind of late 20s, early 30s, and perhaps they have children and they think, okay, well, I could really do with an easier time of it. So perhaps I'll find uh, an in-house role that is very much kind of like nine to five, when you stop, you stop. Um, and you can kind of take a pull back and reclaim some of your life versus like, there were, there were times that uh, when I was working at, at the agency that you'd be doing like a new biz pitch the next day and you'd be working till like 11, 12, one in the morning to get things done. Um, last minute changes, you know how things are. And then you'd be up again at like five or six to travel to this place the next day and actually pitch and things like that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Um, but definitely pros and cons, uh, depending on who you are, what sort of personality you are, what goals you have. I just like the answer so much. It covered each and every aspect of, uh, how the life at agency is mm -hmm. and, uh, why is it uh, sometimes necessary also for a lot of people to go through that grind once? Because as you said, uh, working with 50 clients, it, it is not possible uh, in a way for a person who is trying to become a specialist as somebody, uh, some uh, at something to work with 50 different businesses. In a way, if you're working with 50 clients, at least you have uh, 10 or 15 different business models that you are trying to see and trying to understand what they are uh, selling and what is their... Uh, equation channels and though a lot of things which people understand in those uh, days when they are working at agencies and that I think um, is a foundation for a lot of people 
as you said that uh, it helps you when you are in your late 20s where you go for a specific role yeah, suppose you are currently in a very specific role that you strategize content for e-commerce players and uh, you strategize content for saas players and uh, it is i think very much necessary and uh, it, as uh, a lot of people say for engineering also uh, four years of engineering helps you discover what you want to do i think if four years of uh, agency life it will always help you discover what you want to do for rest of your life continuously so yeah, is, is, is i i definitely correct? learned that there were like some businesses that i really enjoyed working with yeah um i know we're going to talk about um the differences between e-commerce and saas later yes. um so so that's going to be interesting as well but yeah you're right like you get to see all these different business models you get to understand like um different business priorities uh, you get to manage like lots of different stakeholders um and you get to see kind of like what works and what doesn't it's almost like you get to step into the shoes of like a business or a management consultant for a little while see you know the similarities between each businesses but also the differences too true and uh it is very much necessary for young people in a way uh, so i look a bit young but i'm not i'm also 28 so uh, for somebody who is just starting in their career and um, wants to get into marketing it is very important uh, to understand the business models and why somebody is saying that uh, so if they want to consultate on a particular channel so why are uh, why are they pushy for their particular channel or why do they feel that their audience is at uh, this platform or maybe they go offline or maybe they go online or they are trying to do some events and they are trying to pitch uh at a remote location in village area and those kind of things it's very important i think this point was very uh, much necessary so coming to the point that we wanted to discuss and um, content so what according to you is content uh in general and uh what is the importance of uh, having a good content i like that because you've gone you've gone like purposely broad with the question because i think <laughs> it's quite important with content because a lot of people have this specific idea of what it is and that idea to in my mind at least is several decades old <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people view content as written content right yes. so when when you talk about like content marketers a lot of people's instinct goes to okay well they must be a writer for example um or you know they 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 must uh, be kind of uh, just concentrated on organic ranking within within Google for example whereas like these days with like the pro- proliferation of so many different platforms and channels content is really just um kind of something to act in the middle between the company and the customer it's a way of uh, interacting with the customer so you can have content for social media you can have visual content um like youtube clips um or presentation type content like slide share or audio content like podcasts um so you've got all of the these different things that that these days i think should form the bedrock of uh like the tactics that you use the channels that you use um and obviously some companies and some industries are more suited to one than the other and they might choose to kind of lean on that because that's where their expertise are 
um, whereas a different company might go a completely different way. Um, so, so me, I kind of view my role as more than just kind of telling people what should be written or, or indeed writing it myself. Um, it's very much, uh, this is what your product or your service does. These are who your customers or your, your audience is. Um, what do we do to kind of create something to, I, I don't know, kind of uh, attach the two or to act as this kind of go-between, something that will carry your message. Um, and so, yeah, that could involve a, a, a whole kind of plethora of different uh, tactics, right? And different channels and, and different kind of pieces of content. So these days I'm, I'm kind of focused on um, creating content that does a few different things um, because a lot of my business, it comes from, from SaaS. So actually when we talk about the specific type of content that, that does well there or that is necessary, um, organic content that ranks in Google is actually very, very important. And the reason, um, because it's the cost per acquisition for paid traffic channels for, for SaaS software is very, very expensive. And it's only increasing as we go. Uh, every single year, it gets harder and harder. Um, you know, the, the margins get uh, thinner and thinner because you, you're paying more to Google for PPC ads, right? You're paying more to Facebook uh, in terms of your CPAs. So what I found is that the higher that those CPAs get, the more like uh, the more attractive organic ranking looks because you're just paying to create one, one piece of content. And, and we're talking about written content for now. And instead of you paying an average of, I don't know, like if you're some of the cost per clicks uh, for SaaS terms are like 15, 20, even up to like $45, right? Per click this is, this isn't for a conversion. So if you want 10 people to click on it and it's, it's like, um, uh, $15, you're paying $150 just to get 10 people to see that content. Wouldn't it be a better idea? And, and lots of times it is to create content that ranks organically for those same terms. And you've just wiped out $150 just for 10 customers. You know, if you want, you know, to get decent com com number of conversions, you need hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of visitors. And as soon as you start spending that sort of money, um, like not a lot of people have that, not even like VC funded uh, SaaS companies will, will burn through that within 12, 18 months. So uh, a lot of SaaS founders, I think uh, what you uh, pointed out was uh, they don't see value in uh, the long term for that thing. So uh, sometimes they are like, okay, if it is uh, $15 per click, I will do that. But they don't see that every time they want a click, they will have to pay that $15. So it is not just for one time that you are paying it, you are paying it for each click. And if you try to work on the organic uh, side, maybe in three months or four months down the line, uh, that will become a free thing. And you will have to invest $150 or maybe $200 just once mm -hmm. for writing a good piece of content and then doing a lot of SEO over it in that way. So uh, one definition which you said uh, for content was, I think uh, uh, it's a medium between a company and its customer. So whatever comes in between is a piece of content at the end of the day. And uh, a definition or uh, something which people don't understand is content is not just written content. 
a lot of youtube creators now uh, say they are content creators a lot of people who are on tiktok or instagram influencers now are writing their content creators at, uh, in those ways so meet reels or for companies uh, how to create reels or how to create more information in reels is also one of uh, one kind of piece of content which they can push so very rightly said on those part so uh, one question which we discussed that uh, is important is how is content different for a e-commerce company uh, to a saas based company so mm-hmm. what are the differences in those kind of content pieces mm-hmm. so the the probably the most important thing to understand about the differences and why they occur is actually not about the content itself and what format those take it's that it's going back to what we said at the beginning it's about the difference in business models So typically uh SaaS companies have a, a much larger customer lifetime value than an e-commerce company. Now, that's not always true. I'm just very much talking in averages here, but it's because it's it's very very useful. But if you've got um uh a SaaS company who has um like an enterprise offering, then you might be talking like $500 to $2000 a month per customer. Um and they might stay with you for 3 years. So if you call that like um $1000 a month, let's just say because my maths is, is isn't the best part of me, um so that you're then 12 months, that's 12 grand times 3 years. Okay, so that's 36 grand that this customer is is worth for them. So if you pe- create a piece of content that is just able to give them one customer one customer that's an enterprise customer and looks like that then you're actually bringing in $36,000 of value right so it would make sense to make that content really really good to invest a lot of time in it to hire experts to create that to spend time interviewing people creating different rich media videos uh you know podcasts on on that subject whatever If you then look at how that shakes out versus an e-commerce company, if you ensure like there are e-commerce companies that might sell like furniture or something like that which is is more expensive, but take fashion for example, you might have um kind of like a fast fashion store that their average like order value is I don't know, maybe like 70, 80 or something like that. And they might stay with them for a little while, but and then they churn. but their lifetime value might be 200 250 or something like that that's a very very different prospect now now what you have to be doing is okay you can't create like bespoke content for that's going to just suit a couple of companies for example a couple of customers you have to to like change the way you think and and start talking about volume so how do you create the sort of content that's going to appeal to the most or the highest number of people within that set audience that you're you're talking about and you can still niche down for example like if you're um a fashion brand catering to um uh to people that skate for example you know skateboarders so that's still like a huge market because of the internet it's an absolutely massive market still so i'm not saying that you just have to create like top level content that applies to every human out there but you have to think more uh kind of intelligently about how the unit economics actually impact your content creation 
and in terms of like the strategy, but also like the tactics as well. It might in the, the first case with the SaaS company, it might be really, really good if you can create a webinar that five, 10, 15 people see, okay? But in e-commerce, if you create a webinar that 15 people see, that's like an abject failure, right? And you probably wouldn't even choose a webinar as the first format because of the differences there. So it really does impact everything from there. So you almost have to start from the business model and then kind of work forward um, to actually what sort of content you should create based on the audiences, based on the limitations of your business model. Uh, great articulation for uh, the content pieces for both SaaS and e-commerce. And the best part is uh, lifetime value of a customer is something which a lot of people forget. So when as an agency also they are trying to work uh, with uh, the companies, uh, they don't see the lifetime value of a customer whenever they are trying to uh, give ideas or bring people uh, for doing something else. So maybe a YouTube video or a YouTube review for a SaaS company is a good thing to pay $500 to a reviewer for uh, getting a review because they know that uh, lifetime value of the customer is more. But if they start paying $500 uh, to reviewers for doing review of the uh, for e-commerce player where $70, $80 is uh, maybe uh, a basket size and a cart size and then 200 300 is something which is the lifetime value they might not get those output from that so uh, very true in those sense when it comes to content uh, pieces so for saas companies which are the uh, channels which you see uh, so all the channels are important in a way that uh, be it facebook be it twitter be it uh, instagram or uh, like we are currently recording a podcast we are also a SaaS company and that is why we are doing this. Uh, so uh, these are different mediums. So if you can just uh, highlight us, which are the mediums and what are the specifications of those medium or if we want to get on those. So what are the uh, trends or maybe what are the things which are required to be at that medium? So sure, that will be definitely. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's quite a big, uh, a big question. So we might have to yeah. take it in a few different, a few different, yeah, different yeah. chunks. Um, so it, it depends on kind of what your what your goals are and how big your company is already, because you'll be able to leverage some of these if you've already got an existing audience and they'll make more sense than if you don't. Um, so with that caveat in, in place. Um, so if we talk in terms of uh, cold traffic, um, so you've got things like PPC uh, has the benefit of, um, you know, bringing in customers immediately. So if you're a SaaS company that um, you know uh, certain people will, will, will be searching for certain terms, certain keywords, that, and particularly if you're a VC backed, so that's venture capital backed, you've been uh, like outside investors have, uh, have come in to say, okay, we're giving you this much money for this percentage of your business, then they have certain growth goals that you have to be very, very aggressive in, in hitting, even if you're not profitable. Um, and that's how it happens a lot of time, because actually the reason they're investing, uh, investing isn't because of instant profitability, it's because of scale. You need that money to, to hit that scale so that you can then make money. Um, versus you have like uh, bootstrapped companies or SMEs where actually they want to grow, but the limit of their growth is going to be okay, we want to grow, but we want to grow profitably. Um, so that also impacts 
my answers as well. <laughs> so yeah, yet another uh, another caveat there. Um, but PPC is a great one for capturing uh, search demand because you don't need to invest all of this time upfront into creating like a, a great piece of content. Um, really, what you can do is, is spend some time creating a decent landing page. Um, and then building a, a PPC campaign to capitalize on that search. So the, the beauty of that is that whereas if you're getting something to rank, um, you know, it might take a long time. So if you're a company that doesn't have a particularly high domain authority um, and you're creating a piece of content, providing that content is actually like easy enough to rank for. If it's particularly hard, you might never rank for it. But if it's easy enough to rank for, you might take a month, two months, three months to start actually seeing some traffic come, come from it as it increases the rankings. Versus PPC, I could set up a campaign and it will be up and running in the next two hours. You know, as soon as I finish it and, uh, you know, Google gets it out there and, you know, these days they, they just review it through machines. So it doesn't even have to go through it through a human. So it's out there by the end of the day, basically. So you've got those sorts of ways of uh, attracting people. You have kind of these other um, half browsing, half search channels because they mix kind of the intent there, like YouTube, for example. Um, sometimes people search for something particular that you can show up for, or sometimes people are just browsing and they go from one thing and then YouTube, uh, the algorithm su suggests something. So if they think it's gonna be relevant to them, then they'll suggest it so you can create content for that. Um, podcasts as well is, is a good way of bringing new people, um, but you have to make sure that you're on the right podcasts in the first place, talking about the right thing. And then you kind of get into this whole rabbit hole of, well, should I start my own podcast? Should I feature on other people's? I think that's maybe a discussion for another, another time. You have like re retargeting channels and uh, like cold traffic channels. So Facebook kind of very much comes into them. Facebook is still, despite CPAs going through the roof, Facebook is still a massive player in, in, in the e-commerce world. You'll struggle to find many particularly B2C uh, e-commerce companies that don't at least make some use of Facebook, even if it's not their primary traffic driver, but for lots of companies, that's how they get their traffic, you know, like 80, 90% of econ, like maybe they, they, they get a large chunk from there. Um, then you, you've got other kind of social media channels that you might be using for different, different reasons. Um, for SaaS in particular, um, for B2B SaaS, like Twitter is still, a really good, really personal medium, whereas it's not so good for, for other industries at all. Um, so like e-commerce, for example, Twitter, not particularly good, but SaaS is, yeah, they use that because like a lot of founders are on, on Twitter, a lot of tech users are on Twitter. Um, so it's an easy way to kind of build that community there. Um, so you've got all of these, these different routes. I'm kind of, I suppose this year, my, uh, my thinking has kind of shifted a little bit and I'm kind of concentrating on media formats that can be turned into other media formats. So how do you leverage what you've already created? Um, and you can do this in, in, in a couple of ways. You can choose a medium like what we're doing right now. We're, we're recording over video, but we're recording a podcast. So in theory, you could use this as a podcast episode. You could use this as a full 
45 minutes, an hour YouTube episode. You could break that YouTube episode up into five to seven, maybe eight or nine, um, five to 10 minute clips on specific topics based on my uh, individual answers and release those as videos. You could also go through this and take out specific parts that you really like to use for social media. And there are so many great tools that allow you to do this. You've got like Descript, you've got Veed that years ago you'd have had to pay like a visit uh, a video editor quite a lot of money to do all of these things because it would take them quite a lot of time these days you can do it yourself and pay like 10 12 dollars a month um to these subscriptions and get all of these different chunks of, of video and audio um that, that you can then use in all these different places and i think that's fantastic so i'm kind of doubling down this year on those sorts of content pieces that can be turned into something else you know you then um we've got this youtube video you turn that into a transcript you put that transcript along with the video on the website which then helps with your your seo um it it kind of goes on and on you could then turn this into a um, a one-page uh, insight that you put on your website that people can then uh, download so they don't have to go through the whole episode. They can get, you know, play-by-play -play in kind of sentences and things like that. You can turn this into a presentation on SlideShare. Um, you can do all of these different things, right? You can turn it in like individual parts into like YouTube shorts and stuff like that. So there's so much to be done. I think the the people that will win this year and then years to come are those that are clever about the type of content that they start with and those people that realize if you create a certain type of content that content doesn't end there it can also do these you know umpteen other things the other way i'm thinking about like content especially this year is about content refreshing um so i've seen like a lot of wins recently um from people that have chosen to revisit pieces of content, particularly organic content that did well a few years ago, but aren't bringing in as much traffic um, as they used to. So they're already ranking. They might be ranking on page two, for example, of, of Google, right? So you know there's enough there for them to rank well, but they're not getting very much traffic because they're not on, on the first page. They're not in the, the first three to five positions. And actually the work that you have to do in like due to those pieces in terms of rewriting, in terms of internal linking and all, all of those things tend to be less than creating a piece of content from scratch. So companies that have been around for a few years have probably got this treasure trove of massive, uh, massive amounts of content that they're really not making the best use of. So I think there's a lot of value to almost going through your back catalog of content and seeing what needs to be refreshed what can be reworked and reformatted, what can be, what started out as a blog post, but then you could turn into a, a YouTube video and other things like that. Again, thanks a lot for such a brief answer. And uh, so uh, it was great uh, in understanding of which are the platforms and how you can use. I think you uh, explained very well what we are trying to do with uh, the podcast. So we do the same thing, as you said, we do a video format, which goes on YouTube. Then we have the podcast, which goes everywhere as podcast. So on different platforms, Apple, Spotify, and there are a lot more. Then we transcribe it and then we do a blog post, uh, which helps us in SEO and rest all the things. 
Uh, you we, guys, we, you guys are on it. Yeah, so we are already <laughs> on it. So we do short form content, which goes on LinkedIn and on um, Facebook, just to get more views on the same. So uh, very rightly said that what uh, is the format now uh, for people to come is uh, thanks a lot for validating what we are doing. <laughs> so uh, we feel happy that somebody is there who came as a speaker and is saying that we are doing the right thing. What happens with people is uh, consistency is something which uh, a lot of people miss out on while creating content, any kind of content. So uh, do you feel uh, that is something uh, where a lot of people uh, face issues or uh, they, uh, that is not the case? Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's true with so many things in life, though. I don't think it's it's just just down to this. So consistency is like the probably the number one um, kind of factor I would say in, in having success long-term through content, I'd say probably number one is consistency. Number two, willingness to put yourself out there. Number three, probably experimentation. Um, those three things are all just incredibly important. The reason, because like chances are when you do your first content piece and you release it out into the world, nobody will care, you Ooh. know? You, you haven't necessarily built a large audience yet. You won't get feedback on it instantly. Um, a lot of people will probably just, it will never be seen, you know? Like the first time that you do things, particularly if you're doing it yourself, you won't know all of the, the tips and tricks. You won't know how to uh, write a great hook that bring, like draws somebody into a YouTube video. You won't know the optimal structure uh, or length or anything like that to create a blog post. You won't know how to interview people um, very well for, for your podcast. So if you stop, you will never get to that place where you're, where you're good. And there are certain things that you have to be quite um, introspective and honest with yourself about whether it's within your capability or your team's capability to do um, and how to do it the right way. So what, one of the things like I found, because I also record a podcast called Working From Home, is that I could have learned how to edit all of the podcasts myself. You know, that like the, the resources to teach yourself that are out there, whereas 10, 15 years, you'd have been hard pressed. You'd have had to work everything yeah. out yourself. Those resources exist now. Um, I knew that if I was the one uh, organizing the podcast, interviewing people, um, like editing writing the intros, doing the editing, doing the social media, it would never get done, you know, because I've got another job. <laughs> Multi, multiple businesses, it just never would have happened. Um, but I decided to stick to the things that I really wanted to do that I felt like I needed to be the person doing them, which was interviewing. Yes. So my content manager does the social media stuff afterwards, contacting the guests, um, making sure that they have all the right assets to promote and, and doing the promotion herself. Um, and then I have a podcast agency who does all the editing and all the technical stuff and putting like the animations in and things yeah. like that. Um, like I could learn all of that stuff, but is it the right move for me to do that? Probably not. And in the same way, like this is how certain companies should think about content creation. There'll be certain things that they're really well-placed to do. You know, they might have some fantastic writers on board who really know their stuff, but actually 
aren't that good from a design perspective. So it's probably not right that they handle um, some things that involve more intricate design, maybe like social media posts, maybe like animations for YouTube and stuff like that. Maybe they don't need to be the ones involved in there. So a kind of honesty with yourself about like what your organization and yourself are, are, are kind of can handle and should handle as well. That's the other thing, like, should you be doing these things or is your value, is your team's value in, in another area? So uh, the right thing that you said is, uh, should you be doing that thing or not, is something a lot of founders uh, have, uh, I think, misplaced priority is the thing. Uh, because as a founder, it is always there. If somebody will be doing it, I will be doing it better. And uh, let me do that work. Because he, I, I have to explain him to do the same thing. Uh, I have to waste my 30 minutes, uh, which uh, I can do that in three minutes. But it That's is, it. again, the same thing which we uh, discussed in the earlier one of uh, paying $15 for that click currently or paying $150 to get that uh, uh, 10 clicks every month in that way. So uh, teaching somebody for 30 minutes is something that they have to understand that for rest of their journey, they don't have to do that work of three minutes every day. There is somebody who is going to do that three, uh, three minutes of work every day for them. Maybe he will be doing it five, but you are saving three in that way. So uh, that was a very good point that you said. Uh, I think I recognize that or maybe resonate with that a lot because first four years of my journey, I used to be jack of all trade and I was uh, never master of anything. Until today also, I don't know a lot of things uh, to do hands-on things. But I, with experience, I think uh, people get to know a lot more. Uh, but uh, as a founder or as a person who is doing handling things, you always get to do a lot of things. Like, I will do this also, I will do that also. Great. So when it comes to uh, the distribution part of content and for mainly SaaS companies, uh, do you feel email uh, marketing or maybe so the things that they write in email also are very important for them? And what has been your experience with uh, email or maybe uh, what uh, founders do on LinkedIn? So both these aspects, if we can discuss a bit more. Sure. So first, First, I'm going to divert slightly from the question because you touched on it then and it was distribution. And then I'll come back to, to email. Yes. So distribution is something that is like chronically uh, ignored, not just within the SaaS world, just within kind yeah. of even content creators themselves are, are guilty of it. They think kind of their job stops when once something's been created, but actually content distribution is is almost the more important part. Like okay, like you need good content to, to put out there in the first place. But if you if you just create something and it sits there, that like that's not content distribution. You, you haven't thought about that. So the content distribution has to be thought of even before the article or the audio piece or the YouTube video or the TikTok video or whatever it is, is, is created. It's something that I think a, a lot of people are kind of missing. I think a lot of content marketing agencies are, are starting to con uh, like to cotton on a little bit now that they should actually offer this as part of their service. Because if you sometimes if you leave it to the client after an agency, then the, the, the time that you've spent in investing into this great piece of content, whatever it is, actually isn't well spent because some element lets it down like the distribution hasn't been done right or at all or somebody has thought that their job of distribution ends after they've tweeted about it once 
or, or something like that, right? So that's kind of my thoughts on distribution at the moment. Um, it needs way more emphasis from people. Um, in terms of email specifically for SaaS, SaaS companies tend to have a reasonable understanding of the importance of the importance of email because they understand things about retention. They understand about and um, they, they understand that depending on what sort of model you have, whether you have a self-serve or like a sales kind of led demo led um, uh, SaaS company, you know, particularly for enterprise companies, they have like a lot of demos. Um, they understand the need for email to act as like, the constant form of uh, like relationship interaction, relationship building. And email performs that job really, really well. Um, you can just be slowly dripping out content to warm people up. So for example, to turn somebody from a subscriber of your content, you know, maybe they've downloaded a lead magnet that you've created, um, turn them from a subscriber into uh, like a booking, for example, they've booked a demo then okay they've booked a demo so what do you what do you then create to warm them up and get them excited between the time that they book their demo and the time they actually have their demo call like i wrote three email flows for uh, a saas company in belgium just before christmas that were oriented around these these very things so then how do you get somebody who's had a demo to then actually seal the deal and you'll you'll have maybe You'll have salespeople doing that as well. So how do your emails uh, interact with what the salespeople are doing? How do you construct them so they're not stepping on each other's toes and repeating the same messages? Um, or, you know, if you don't have a salesperson, how do you actually get them from taking this action all the way to maybe having a free trial or something, something like that? Then once they've signed up, what are the emails that you can create to um, show them how to use your product to, to illustrate like the three or the five best use cases that they're really going to get the most value for? You know, how do you do behavior based um, email flows? Right. So perhaps you've noticed that on average, um, your best users use your product X amount a month and you identify a small subsection of your users that aren't using it that much. Like, how do you analyze what they're doing and put email in place to get them to, to the level? How do you get people to upgrade through, through emails to increase both your, uh, your monthly recurring revenue um, and your customer lifetime value? So there's all of these different parts that email can play. You know, you have the email that you use for people who have already got your product, the email that um, you send to subscribers, your, your newsletters. Um, so there's tons of different ways. And I think for email people, people kind of panic because it's this thing that you have to do like all of the time. But if you set up like email flows that takes up a, like a lot of the work is then done for you. You think of these things once and then you get them out and yeah, sure. You might come back in three months time and revisit them to see, okay, well, actually this one has a low open rate. So we, we need to change the subject line for that. This one has a really low click-through rate or this flow would have been worked better than that. But that takes so much of your work off the plate. The other thing that's important, like especially within newsletter creation as, a, as opposed to like automated emails um, is this concept of curation that has been going from strength to strength. And it's a really easy way of 
demonstrating your authority within the space without necessarily having to create something um, of your own to show those people. So the, the concept of curation, if anybody's not familiar now, is really kind of seeing what exists in the space that might be relevant to your customers, gathering it and presenting it in a really helpful, accessible way to, to your customers. So say, for example, you know, one of the things, one of the objections that I used to used to find a, a lot of the time in the past is like with engineering companies, for example, like, oh, well, we can't talk about our products all the time because, you know, the people aren't going to be particularly enamored or enthused about them. Fair enough. But maybe you could think bigger. Maybe you could identify like really exciting engineering projects that are happening right now. Or maybe like every month you could identify like, um, cool uh, engineering projects that have happened throughout time, like um, the building of the Eiffel Tower um, or something, you know, whatever this might be, there are all these ways that you can actually use cur curation to almost outsource the job of content creation to these other fantastic people. So uh, one part where uh, a lot of uh, things are in gray area is uh, how do you get the right ROI of your content and uh, how do you judge if your content is doing well or not because page views uh, in a way will never get translated into dollars so getting more page views does not directly mean that you are getting more dollars for whatever you are doing or maybe getting more clicks is not something which we'll get into and a lot of times products are also not that well so sometimes if for if you're doing ads for e-commerce if your shirt uh, for which you are doing advertisement is not appealing enough people won't buy it or if uh, the sizes are not matching there are a lot of uh, returns then you are at loss in the same way what are the things for SaaS uh, where they can get the right kpis mm -hmm. so one of the things to to think about is this this model of kind of the marketing funnel and a lot of people kind of will say okay yes but marketing journeys are non-linear and, and things like that which yeah fair enough they, they they often are um but i still find like the marketing funnel is a a good framework even if it's not particularly correct it's still very helpful uh, as a way of thinking um and that's a, a lot of times what you find like yes, this framework isn't 100%, but it does help me to, to do something and it helps me to do it in the right way. So it's still useful. So in broad terms, we think about the marketing funnel kind of in, in three pieces, top of the funnel, middle of the funnel and bottom of the funnel. And these map to the level of intent. So that's, you, you have things like level of intent, you have things like level of awareness, right? Um, so at the top of the funnel, Typically, depending on whether you're mapping it to intent and awareness, you have um, low intent and low awareness. If you, you talk about something like uh, organic search, for example, um, these people, um, if your, uh, your product, your SaaS product is an email product, for example, um, email outreach or something like that, let's call it. So you have people that might be searching for something like um, how to find X person's email address, um, like 
how to uh, find people's contact details or something like that. That might be like a top of the funnel um, to middle of the funnel sort of uh, kind of keyword, right? Um, then you might have um, something like best email outreach providers. And that's kind of like a middle of the funnel to bottom of the funnel sort of term. Um, because now you know that they're not only interested in your overall subject matter, but they're now looking for a solution to, to combat those. And then you have your bottom of the funnel things, which might be compare X email software provider to Y or something like that, which is very firmly bottom of the funnel. So all of these map onto different levels of intent, different levels of awareness and different dollar amounts. So the further down the funnel, typically the further they are in their decision-making period, the more valuable that customer is going to be to you. But on the other hand, the harder it is to compete for that because other clever people, <laughs> other clever companies have also realized that those companies are ready to buy. So if they concentrate on those, typically they are going to map more closely to, um, to, to dollar values, right? But the reason that we call it a funnel, not just because people typically go in this direction from less to more aware or uh, from lower intent to higher intent, but is also because the volumes drop off as well. So typically you'll see far more people, uh, far higher volume of people that inhabit this top layer versus those that, that offer um, kind of occupy the bottom. So although it's easier to, the people at the uh, lower part of the funnel, uh, the bottom of the funnel, are more ready to, to commit. The, the competition is higher and there's also fewer people. So you have to do lots of calculations, which I think may, might be a little bit past the, the topic of this podcast today. But you have to do lots of different calculations based on your conversion rates, based on like monthly search volume, based on click-through rates, those sort of things to understand well, actually, is it going to be worth me creating this piece of content to get this many people on our website um, because we know that X amount of those people on average should convert? Or is it worth me creating this top of the funnel piece of content, which, yes, those people will convert at a lot lower rate because they're not necessarily ready to commit yet. Some of them might be. Um, some of them might be interested in signing up to a lead magnet or subscribing or something like that, but there's a much, much higher number of people. So you actually do these, these calculations based on your um, average conversion rates and average click-through rates and things like that and compare them to monthly search volume. And if you don't have those, you compare them to industry standards for, for these sort of things. The other way that you can do it is by looking at what happens from PPC. So tools like SEMrush and Ahrefs will identify these keywords, will tell you on average what's being paid for those keywords. And that gives you an indication of whether those keywords convert highly or not. So chances are, if you see a high cost per click for something, it's because one of two things, maybe both of those two things are free. Like it's very, very competitive. Um, and that's either because uh, well, the industry itself is really, really hard fought or the customer lifetime value or the single transaction value is very, very high. And so it's worth them to pay 
that much, but typically it's a pretty good indication that there's something hiding like behind that keyword. There's a level of intent there or, you know, amount of a dollar amount of money hiding behind that keyword. And that's why people are interested in it. Great answer to uh, the question. And uh, I think, as you said, uh, the uh, we need another session. And then I just looked at the clock and we already have <laughs> passed the time. <laughs> so uh, definitely uh, the things that we're discussing today uh, need uh, cannot be contained in the kind of podcast that we are trying to do. But uh, nevertheless, uh, it was uh, very informative in the first place. And usually I ask two questions at the uh, driving towards the end. We have already discussed the ROI of the content. So maybe in the next time that we do, we do a deep down on what are the funnels or what are the metrics that uh, somebody need to understand. So sure. uh, we are in an industry which keeps on changing every six months or keeps on evolving a lot. So uh, suppose we take in terms of just SEO. Uh, Google uh, introduces a new Panda algorithm and then everything is just upside down. So how do you keep yourself updated with all the information around and what is your source of information? Sure. So, I mean, the the key thing to understand is there's there's so much noise going on. You have to be very uh, cognizant of where you're actually going to find the signal. And by that, I mean the people who actually know what they're talking about um, and are trustworthy and have no reason to kind of lie to you that they're, they're figuring it out as they're going along and they're honest in sharing this. And depending on your industry, people will share these insights or they won't. Um, so the, there's kind of the, the longstanding um, uh, kind of digital marketing uh, like uh, websites that you can go to that by and large, they'll give you most of the information some are a higher quality than others are on the high quality side uh cxl which used to be conversion xl uh can't rate that website high enough they basically get the best of the best to create courses there and to, to look at what's going on in the digital marketing industry as a whole um so that's fantastic Twitter is really, really good if you use it in the right way. Terrible if you use it in the wrong way. Um, but follow follow the right people who you'll be able to find like list of kind of industry influencers. Um, again, follow the ones that seem to be basing their uh, opinions on actual like experiments that they've run personally, clients that they've observed, things that they've actually tried out versus those that hear just the newest best topic that everyone's talking yeah. about those are the people that i very much try and ignore on purpose great and uh, what is your motivation because uh, these kind of things happen a lot so you have shifted between two countries just to work and that requires a lot of grit uh, individually also and currently as you are uh, doing your freelancing uh, so you uh, don't have any co-workers around and um, so you don't have anybody to talk to in a day uh, rather than your <laughs> wife, uh, other than your wife, sorry. So uh, what keeps you motivated to do what you are trying to do in life? Sure. So uh, I, I'm very much like self-motivated with, with a lot of these things. And there's the key for me was finding the things that I really enjoy doing the things that I'm like actually excited to do. And for me, writing and thinking about content and thinking about content creation and content creators 
um, as as kind of a a smaller niche within that just excites me. I like I don't need any motivation to do that. Like to be able to see what's working um, and what other people are doing and people are pushing the boundaries in terms of the you know their processes that they're implementing or the the results that they're achieving. Like that's enough for me. So I kind of observe what other people are doing. Um, in terms of the writing, like I very much enjoy writing about certain subjects and would be bored stiffless writing about others. And I very much position myself over the years to work in spaces that motivate me. You know, I suppose spaces that I want to work in with people that I want to work for. I'm very fortunate now to be in the position, which wasn't true, you know, even a few years ago, where like I say no to more than 50%, maybe like 60, 70% of the people that even want, like, want to work with me because they're uh, either that they're not the right fit. I don't think they're going to benefit as much as they should do from, from what I'm doing based on where their company is right now, or they don't have the budgets or, you know, I just get the sense that I might not enjoy working with them. Um, but it took me a while to, to get to that, you know, like I've, I've been freelancing for, for only a couple of years, but in, in total, I've been working in digital marketing for 10, 11 years now. Um, and I definitely wouldn't have had that freedom if I tried to do this six, seven years ago, you know? Um, so kind of, kind of hard fought. And my other kind of motivation comes from talking with, with people like yourself, um, both on like guesting on other people's podcasts, a great way to make new friends, great way to hear kind of other people's perspective. Um, it's, it's, it's just fantastic. You know, hosting uh, the working from home podcast has been fantastic for me as well. Uh, not only has it kind of increased my, my business by a lot in, in terms of real dollar revenue, but it's made like so many new, new contacts for me, like all over the world in different industries. I've, uh, I've interviewed CEOs, I've interviewed founders, I've interviewed successful freelancers. Um, you know, I've interviewed people that now like refer work to me. Um, it's, it's been fantastic. So I think, yeah, podcasts all the way for like relationship building for sure.